Welcome to Newcastle Libraries Real. Newcastle Libraries can be accessed from wherever you live with the Newcastle Library app. Put borrowing at your fingertips. I invite you to close your eyes and imagine. Imagine that there are no buildings, no roads, no cars, just the trees, plants, animals and the very first storytellers of this land, the Awabakal and Waramai people. So I acknowledge them as the traditional custodians of this beautiful land in which we live. Welcome to Newcastle Libraries, your summer stories. Holly Throsby is an Aussie who writes and records beautiful ARIA award-winning melodies created in studios and on stage and also dreams up magical landscapes through the written word too. Here in Clark, she's done it again with her third novel, the successor to Goodwood and Cedar Valley. Welcome to your summer stories, Holly. Thank you for having me. <laughs> how does writing a song differ to writing a novel for you and how are they the same? I find them very different. For me, songwriting has always been something that I wasn't particularly disciplined about. Like I would... <laughs> I would kind of, and I'm not. I'm not a trained musician, so I would just be something that I would be fiddling around on a guitar or on a piano, mainly on a guitar, and find a melody that I liked. And if I liked it enough, start to write lyrics to it. And sometimes they happen very quickly. The best ones usually happen very quickly. And novel writing is just so different. You can't just kind of have a relaxed (laughs) waiting for a novel to kind of strike you. And I found out that novel writing is, in fact, about a huge amount of discipline and hard work and structure around that work. So when I'm songwriting, I might write in a burst of, you know, a burst of songwriting creativity. I might get five or six songs written in, in a couple of months and feel really excited about songs and be carrying the music around in my head, whereas with novel writing I work Monday to Friday with more like set hours. I mean, and I have a word, I have a word count goal every week. Wow. Otherwise, otherwise I just would, you know, I have two small children. I would just, yeah. and I, you know, having a deadline for the books has been really helpful because the publisher generally has a deadline. I've only missed one major deadline. Oh, it sounds arduous because I'm an artist too and I just think, yeah, like as an artist, you, I think it's more natural to work in those bursts and you've got sort of that ADHD personality. So I, I read in an uh, interview you said that the characters don't really develop properly till the draft four of the novel and I thought, oh, my God, like it just sounded vomitous. Like <laughs> what's good about it? What do you love about it? <laughs> Well, it's very challenging and very satisfying. I do find the first draft really hard, but then when stuff feels like it's working, it's an incredibly satisfying feeling. And working out how the plot should unravel itself and how it should work and what scene should come next and then feeling like you're on the right track. Sometimes I go down the wrong track and have to backtrack back to where I was and try again. Oh, no. Um, but I do find that. That, that wouldn't help with the word I, count. No, sometimes you're in ne- then you're in negative word count. Um, oh, no. I think that for me the first draft is the hard bit and then the second and third draft I really do start to find that very pleasurable because you've got the story down and you know what the story is and then the job is making that better and making it 
more colourful and more detailed and hopefully more affecting and I try and make the writing better and I try and add more detail I try and then I subtract some detail because I get overexcited (laughs) you know but I do think once you've got the actual story down that's really the hardest part for me and then the other bits is kind of more like it's more like when you've recorded your guitar and vocals of an album and then the other instruments come in and that's satisfying because the really hard work is done and then <laughs> you try and make it more beautiful, I guess. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. We believe that there was a podcast was part of the impetus behind Clark. Can you tell us a story behind that? Was it The Teacher's Pet? Yeah, it, it, look, it, it, it did have um, some part in inspiring the main mystery of the story the the book opens when the police arrive at Barney Clark's house in the town which is also called Clark um, (laughs) with a search warrant to search for the body of a missing woman and I was listening to the teacher's pet podcast when I was um, envisioning this first chapter and the the detail from that case from the Lynette Dawson case that really struck me I mean, there's a lot of things that struck me about that case, to be honest, because it's a it's a really horrifying story. But the idea that the people that were living in the house in Bayview when the police arrived didn't know the history of the house that they were living in, that was really the, the spark that set off the first chapter of this book. But then the book became very quickly about completely different things. You know, there is some nods to the Lynette Dawson case in here, which I attempted to do very respectfully, it very quickly becomes its own fictional world and the the world of of how the people in this book would respond to that situation of the police arriving. Barney, who doesn't know the history of the house, his neighbour Leonely, who absolutely does and who is a friend of Ginny's. So I went from there on a kind of human response level and then, you know, I ended up where I ended up, which was quite far away from where I began. Yeah. (laughs) Him with the house, uh, painting the picture of his house, you know, scantily clad with the furniture and the police arriving and all this. The novel is, it has macabre themes, but you're, you you write really good comedy. Where do you think uh, that comes from? You know, really good sort of black comedy. It's really funny, especially your other novels. Like you're just, your comedy writing's great. Oh, thank you. I, I I found that the writing the dialogue was very enjoyable in all the books and it became more and more enjoyable as I went along. And I do really enjoy comedy in fiction, especially in literary fiction, especially when it might be somewhat unexpected, mm. especially used to temper or juxtapose darker themes. Some of my favourite writers and some of my favorite books do that I think it certainly influenced me even reading a book like In Cold Blood by Truman Capote which was a really early favorite book of mine it's really funny I mean it's one of the most horrific subject matters you could think of but the tone is very funny as is Revolutionary Road by Richard Yates or The Virgin Suicides by Jeffrey Eugenides some of these books that were quite influential on me when I was in my 20s and have sort of stayed with me use humour in these really interesting ways Um, and in the same way that a lot of my sort of favourite television shows, for example, do. So I I feel that the humour to me is a very important part of the mix. There's there's a lot of grief and a lot of sadness in this book but a lot of humour and a lot of warmth and optimism as well. Yeah, 100% allows it to be lifted up. Why not dip your toes into your summer stories from Newcastle Libraries? 
simply visit the Library Lounge on the Newcastle Libraries app or the website newcastle.nsw.gov.au slash library. So those themes and the, the characters, they're very textual, you know, the themes of chatter and people have these, you know, there's a lot of mental health and like living conditions that aren't ideal but then other aspects of their life and the light and shade. What inspired those themes and what do you hope the audience can glean from them on, you know, any sort of consciousness level? When I'm writing a book, I'm certainly not thinking about what someone would glean. It's more, I guess, in those later drafts when you're looking back and thinking, what have I done here? You know, like what, yeah, okay. what have I written? What's coming up? <laughs> okay, and then you yeah. have a bit more of a detached feeling, not that I would sit down like I did as an English student at university and look at my book in that way, but you do kind of notice recurring motifs, recurring themes, a kind of authorial voice that's sitting behind it. I guess in this book, when I looked back at it, I realised that it was mainly about connection between people, whether that be an expected connection or a somewhat unexpected connection between people that might not ordinarily connect, but they do because of the proximity of living next door to each other, for example. And sometimes just in life, you know, it doesn't matter. You can't get away from people. So you have these relationships where you're not best friends, but like I've got this woman where I work and um, she has a little Vietnamese restaurant. So we have this because we have to move cars every day together. And, you know, these are relationships too, right? Of course. And sometimes those relationships become a true constant in our lives and they're ones that we might not pay a lot of attention to but Mm. I feel like this book does celebrate those small acts of kindness that can be very sustaining and very comforting and in this book people find comfort in each other and in people that they really might not expect to find comfort in because we have Barney and Leone who's his next door neighbour they're the two main characters of the book and we get the entire book through either of their perspectives. It shifts between their perspectives. Um, But they are both in a lot of pain. They're both really grieving. Um, So in other ways, the book is really about how people deal with loss um, and how they process loss and how people try and avoid pain and how much how much more pain that can produce. So it it really was, it turned out to be those themes really kind of shone out to me as I was sort of finishing off the book. And the rural uh, settings that you paint uh, are beautiful uh, with your novels. It it seems to be that they feature more readily than the urban ones. Is Is that because your characters are so textual and you prefer to not have distraction in the background or why do you favour that setting or is that because where uh, you live yourself or because because you have lived in the city yeah I was really a city person yeah yeah. Um, but when I wrote I started with Goodwood and then so the three books are very subtly linked like they're completely standalone stories you don't need to read them in any order but if you if you were to read all three of them you will notice that you know Goodwood is a small town in which Clark is mentioned Cedar Valley is mentioned there's some characters that, that cross over in fact Leonie Wallace who's the main character of this book appears in one paragraph um, of Cedar Valley as a witness. Ah. All we know about her in Cedar Valley is that she works at the Harvey World Travel in the Clark Plaza. Ah. She 
frequents the pie cart and she has a tendency to over cater. <laughs> so I had those. <laughs> she that, sounds like me. <laughs> I had those very, those very scant facts about her. And for some reason, she's the character I decided to pluck from Cedar Valley and, and make the central character of Clark. And that was really an enjoyable proposition. She's also, travel, <laughs> she's also a travel agent who's never traveled. And there was something yeah. quite poignant. Um, in that for me but um yeah look I started with Goodwood I didn't realize that I was going to keep writing books set in this kind of growing region that 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 is what, what I've done but I had done a lot of touring in region Austra- regional Australia I'd recorded all of most of my albums except for one where I went to Nashville that was fun but the rest of them I recorded all on the south coast of southern highlands of New South Wales my partner is um from the Hunter region where you're, you know, around Newcastle. So I do, we've got family, they've got family in Bathurst. So I do spend a lot of time. And now we, of course, in about, about three and a half years ago, my family and I moved out of Sydney and down the South Coast. So I do, ha- I've always had an affection for those communities. And I think when I was writing Goodwood, really because of recording albums there, I just located a lot of creative energy in those regions and that town became an amalgamation of towns I would visit while I was recording. Um, so, yeah, I guess that's where it started and then it, it went from there. It spiraled out of control. <laughs> <laughs> you talk about it like its own entity. Create your own summer stories with Newcastle Libraries through our incredible collections, e-learning resources and summer programs. Find out more at the Newcastle Libraries app or website. Deb in Clark has a huge native garden and we hear that you're a gardener yourself. Do do your daughters enjoy it and and what do you get out of the garden? What do you love about it? Oh, I adore the garden. My partner Zoe is a landscape gardener. That's her job. I always had an interest in gardening as well. So it's become a real shared passion for us. Like she, Zoe actually does all the natives at our house and I do the edibles and their companions. Zoe's not interested in growing food at all. But I... (laughs) She's really interested in, in, in attracting native birds to the garden, so oh. we seem to manage to do both. Oh, how do you feel about that? Because I know lots of permaculturalists and, um, yeah, they're not too keen on the old bird hanging around when they're working so hard. We've managed a, a nice balance, I think, because, for example, re- we've we've only been in this house for nearly almost four years, so the fruit trees, for example, we're just getting apples and just getting mulberries and stuff now. And this was the first season we got enough mulberries, but we had black-faced cuckoo shrikes coming to take the mulberries. And Zoe <laughs> didn't want me to net the tree because she wanted <gasps> But in, in the end, I kind of thought, well, I think we've the kids are actually weirdly not as into mulberries as I thought they'd be. So. <gasps> oh, that's so nice of you. <laughs> So I was like, oh, you are ever yeah. giving. <laughs> now we um we let the cuckoo strikes have um, their share, and then we get a share as well. So it's sort of mm. I feel like at the moment we've got a, it's not like we're trying to you know sustain our entire family or have a market garden or something. So at the moment the birds are, are very welcome. But I did give Deb in the book my interest in gardening, and you know I think in some ways it's fun to give characters certain interests that you have yourself because the research is extremely effortless (laughs) 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 just finally where do you see like the importance you know the written word is still so popular so where do you see the importance of it where do you think it lies most in today's landscape of the seven second tiktok video you know they're complete juxtapositions aren't they uh they are and i lament the 
death of the attention span that I think mm-hmm. we all suffer from. I mean, I notice it myself that I, when I'm reading a book, it takes an extremely engrossing book for my mind not to wander at points. Mm. And is I think we've all experienced this kind of slow, gradual mm. <laughs> eroding yeah. on our attention yeah. um, and our ability to focus. But I feel personally like I have to personally fight against that. Yeah. Um, and I think I hope that that people you know, I do feel that even with TikTok, like we've got book talk now, and so TikTok is now weirdly, especially with the with the younger people celebrating books again. Mm. I personally am quite optimistic, and I feel that yeah. books will never go out of fashion. If no. that's a thing to say, but yeah. I, you know, I notice as well that I'm reading a lot of contemporary fiction in which, whether it's authors or editors, there's a lot less fiction that's very dense on the page mm. you get a lot more spaces big like double paragraph spaces between chunks of prose. <laughs> oh yeah uh, and some books for example like Jenny Offal who I absolutely love she wrote a book called Weather the entire book is kind of made up of just paragraphs and sometimes even just a single sentence so it's extremely digestible in this yeah. small page but yet mm. I think is an absolutely brilliant book and she's mm. influenced a lot of sort of modern literary american writers so potentially form like that those things might go in and out of fashion in terms of there's always something fashionable in literature whether it's the use of semicolons or the absolute rejection yeah. of semicolons, you know oh that's such unfashionable grammar how dare you <laughs> it's true that some people feel very strongly about a semicolon um i think that probably the best thing is to ignore all trends in general and (laughs) write what you feel like writing but it's always interesting to note you know I'm enjoying a lot of books that are really embracing technology in in the literature in a really literary way like Patricia Lockwood or Sally Rooney even you know books that are using text message in a in a way that's now become quite literary to read I find that um quite beautiful so and speculative fiction, like these kinds of genres that are coming out, I think of being kind of anti-technology, but also lamenting like a eulogy to technology because yeah. what comes next. So there's a lot of yeah. I think literature is the perfect place for us to explore all of these modern ailments that we have. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, that's a deep dark trough, isn't it? <laughs> Yeah, that 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 answer went somewhere I didn't expect. But that's no, no. It. I mean, I I mean, it's got a lot to explore. That's oh, what I mean. Yes, it's a deep yes. trough. Literally, literally, maybe, we'll have. A... Maybe it's always been a deep trough. You know. Like yeah, of course, more, of course. I think we're just more aware of how many mm. troughs there are. <laughs> of course, yeah. No one was ever. Now perfect. we have the troughs are more like live streamed. So, <laughs> just finally, Holly, for anyone out there, just a little bit of humour. Did you ever? Ever finish a creative essay at school with and then I woke up or never? I never did. I never did. Such oh. a, you know, it's such a, 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 a cop maligned, out. Such a maligned ending, you know, like sometimes you did just wake up and that's what happened. Well, hopefully the world wakes up and it's because of you and your fabulous writing. Thank you so much for joining us, Holly Throsby. No worries. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to Your Summer Stories from Newcastle Libraries. Why not take a dip and a sip, then rate and review us wherever you listen.
This has been a Newcastle Libraries Real Production. <laughs>